0: Hey there, and welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association. And today I'm excited to talk to Scott Hayes, who farms in Blue Earth, Minnesota, and runs Blue Dirt Farms, where he raises pasture and woodland pork, as well as running a crop farm with his brother. Scott, thanks so much for joining me, and welcome to the Dirt Rich podcast.
1: Thank you, Jared.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you making some time. I know this is kind of crunch time here before fall harvest and, and every hour is is worth a lot. So I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of a, a beautiful, at least here, beautiful sunny day to, to talk to me a little bit. I, so thank you.
1: Same to you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. I'm always, you know, my my favorite thing to get these conversations started is to just talk a little bit about your history and tell me, you know, your family's history in the area and how you got to where you are. And, and mm-hmm. then we can kind of work into your transition from uh, from that to, to what all you're doing now.
1: Well, my family's history in the area. That's a, a fun place to start. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they walked here from Wisconsin, like back really? in the 1860s.
0: <laughs> wow. <so. laughs> wow. Yeah, from Wisconsin to okay. What well, what 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 caused the uh, migration west there?
1: Um, I forget how long they hadn't been in Wisconsin for very long. I believe my I have an uncle who's like the family historian, so okay, sure. I just love visiting with him. But they uh, they came from Germany. Mm-hmm. This is my my dad's side of the family, so the Hayes side, and we still farm some of the land that they they homesteaded hmm. back. Okay
0: back in around the 1860s so wow. wow so you're well over a century farm you're pushing over over 150 <laughs> yeah. years in the same area right. then.
1: <clears throat> yeah so i i don't know it, it feels i feel humbled i guess when i work on that land out there i a lot there's just a lot to think about when i'm <laughs> <laughs> on our land out east of blue earth so that's the family's history uh my history <laughs> i Left uh, after high school, never thought I would be a farmer. My dad has told me before of uh, us three three sons that my family has. Uh, I'm the last one they thought was going to come back to be a farmer. And I actually ended up being the first one who came back. Really? <laughs> and it was a roundabout way. I had gone to school uh, in Mankato to college and... Was undecided major for a while and switched programs a couple times, but eventually settled on manufacturing engineering and art. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. around that time, also, I went through somewhat of a transformation in my thinking, uh, getting interested in food and cooking. I had a job at a restaurant uh, where we cooked a lot of the food from scratch and. I started paying more attention to the kinds of food I was eating and mm-hmm. health and nutrition followed. And as I grew older, that just got stronger because I could see people starting to have health problems that were either my age or slightly older. And I don't know, the, the more time went on, the, the more I realized, hey, I'm probably on to something. So that led to the this itch i guess to do something that had to do with uh being on the land or food production i was also a little interested in renewable energy at that time so that led me to working for a couple seasons at an apple orchard in southeastern minnesota not too far from where where you hail over yeah. there yeah and that was a great experience uh learned how to manage people and I was in charge of, uh, packaging the apples. So working with the sales team and Mm -hmm. basically like a production manager kind of role. Sure. Uh, Felt like quite a stretch for me at the time, fresh out of college.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Um, and it was also a a lot of hours and the company had at the time, at least a lot of turnover. So looking (laughs) back towards the family farm started, uh, that idea seemed more attractive. And mm-hmm. eventually we, with my young family, we decided to move back to the area and here we are.
0: Yeah. And, and your family's farm, you, you touched on where you started. What's the farm actually look like, or looked like before you got back, you were in more of the food side and orchard side, but that's not so much your, your family's farm, is it?
1: Right. Right. It's a, it's very, in most ways, very conventional for the area here it's sure our region's pretty much dominated by corn and soybeans and uh, my family's farm was and pretty much still is not a lot different from that uh one step my dad he did some ridge tilling in the 80s which i think was you know definitely a step in the right direction minimizing the tillage uh also so it would have been right around the time roundup ready crops came out he got a no-till drill and we still actually have that machine to this day and for the soybean side of things uh he went completely no-till and that's been a big success for us yeah i hope that answered your question you know fairly conventional but definitely leaning a little bit in the way of uh reduced tillage and since i've come back we've Continued that trend and added cover crops, how it ties in with like the rest of the family, I guess. Uh, My dad has three brothers and um, all his sisters moved away, but the three brothers farmed. And um, he's the the one that's still farming to this day. Um, One of them has some health issues and the other one uh, quit farming and found other work. And I guess they're all technically uh, retired sure right now
0: okay okay so you mentioned that you were the first to come home that implies maybe that there's at least one more if not more that have come home to farm with you today or today
1: right i farm with uh i have two younger brothers Uh, my middle brother brent is uh my my farming partner Mm-hmm. And he does a lot to keep the thing going, especially as I've been <laughs> trying to build some momentum with my own businesses over the last the last year, especially, but really the last couple of years. So he does a ton of the management and keeps uh, keeps things going. Uh, my younger brother, he's helped before in the past on the farm as well, but he has other employment and lives in Mankato to the north of here, about an hour. Cool,
0: cool. No, that's some great context. uh, Just to kind of understand where you're coming from and everything. And so you talked about this transformation that you went through and kind of your views and mindsets on food and food production. How did that mindset? I guess what? How did that mindset affect you? And as you came home to what this this kind of a conventional corn and soybean farm, and what have you done since then to kind of you know? I mean, you talked about some of the things, but what's what's that uh, transition back into? commodity agriculture farming look like with that different perspective and on food.
1: Um, the aspirations I've had have definitely evolved over the years. When I first came back, I you know, was involved with the, the farm. Uh, we didn't quite know what that was going to look like at first. So I actually worked as just an employee the first year. And then the second year I started taking some equity ownership in the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at first I, I didn't really know what I wanted. I was interested in organic agriculture. I was interested in a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I lived in town for the first couple of years uh, before we found a homestead, like a, just a 10 acre uh, piece of land with the house just uh, near, near the home farm. So the location was really convenient. So early on, I, I dabbled with uh trying to do some organic agriculture, not really knowing what I was doing, not having the equipment to do it Uh, since then though. And that was more just this uh, maybe my art degree coming through kind of this free spirited hippie sort (laughs) of idea I had where I just wanted to have a little piece of land and be self-reliant in a lot of ways and actually through SFA has played a big role in this, and just other you know things that have shaped the trajectory over the last fifteen years. I I really want to make an impact on on more land than just my own farm, mm-hmm. and not just uh, be like a dropout of society. I've really gotten excited about you know finding things that that work on the land and sharing those with other people and providing really high quality products, Mm -hmm. uh, just sharing all this great knowledge that I've learned on my own and, and through SFA.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah shameless plugs here (laughs) well we appreciate that for sure there's hopefully well i'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are not sfa members and it's i think it's always good to hear yeah hear people's perspectives and how they've benefited from benefited from the organization and i I don't know i think that there's things that can be learned for farmers of all types and stuff but uh, you kind of alluded earlier to the businesses that you're you know, kind of have on the side of the regular crop farm and stuff and and this maybe aligns with your goal here of sharing what you're doing and, and changing landscapes and also sharing that with other people. Maybe talk a little bit then about the the blue dirt farm and kind of the I don't know if you want to call it a separate enterprise or a totally different business that you've kind of ventured into in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. Um yeah really it is a totally different business. It's under its own umbrella. The idea toying around started when we got the homestead you know i did the typical homestead thing got got some chickens got some ducks that kind of stuff oh, yeah. uh the first pigs were in 2014 i believe that just made sense to me because i'd been around some some hogs growing up my parents uh had actually my dad used to do pharaoh to finish And that changed over the years as the industry consolidated, like he got rid of his breeding herd and got rid of like the, the barns with the outside slabs and went to more kind of really small for today's standards, confinement barns. And Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to do that because I used to have to clean those barns out and you go in there for serious, like five seconds. And that smell is on you for the whole day. So Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was comfortable with pigs. I knew I could raise some pigs and keep them over the summer and have them out of here by the, by the fall. Um, It just seemed like the next logical thing after the chickens. So Mm -hmm. Uh, lucky enough to find somebody raising Mongolites pigs. It's a breed from Hungary with long wooly hair. It's really a unique pig, very well adapted for Minnesota winters and, Sure, just kind of a, a chance meeting with uh, the fellow I still buy my most of my pigs from to this day. Hmm. But that's how that got started, and then uh, let's see, I'm starting to make it into a little more of a serious business. And then in I believe 2018 and 19, I went through a divorce and decided I really want to make this a, into a business. I mm-hmm. <laughs> Naively thought maybe I can make more money doing this yeah. <laughs> help with some of the, the things that come about with a, you know, a separation when you're self-employed, it's just uh, sure, sure. complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's when, yeah, I made the commitment. I really want to get this going. And I've seen so many farms that start something that's, you know, a little different than the norm like this, and maybe they produce a really great product, but I just saw it again and again, they would start. And then a few years later, uh, people burn out or it's just not working for them. And (laughs) some days I feel like I'm almost at that point, but pretty stubborn. So I've decided I'm not going to be that person. (laughs) And I hope, uh, I hope my uh, devotion there doesn't change over in the next couple of years, but Mm -hmm. things I believe are starting to turn a corner and cool. It's, it's very hard and you need support from customers, definitely. And Mm -hmm. the community at large, another great thing about SFA. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can get to some events and have that, uh, that part of the support system. So. That's how Blue Dirt Farm started. Uh, still doing a lot of pigs, uh, turkeys seasonally. And I did raise some cattle several years ago. Decided that trying to grass finish cattle on my 10 acres wasn't quite feasible at that time. Because there are a lot of woods here. Uh, so I did get cattle again this year, but they're hopefully coming to this farm at, at some point. I was hoping to have virtual fencing collars for them by now and we can yeah. chat about that later yeah. uh, but they're at some other sites right now oh and the other thing i took uh 100 acres out of the family farm and brought it under my own farms management where i'm diversifying the rotation more and growing some of my own forage and feed sources for my animals
0: yeah well i want to I'm I'm curious to learn more about what you're doing with that. But before I do, you touched on a topic that I think was—it's not uncommon and is important to maybe discuss a little bit, and that's this like this burnout that direct market type farmers, I think, face a lot. I think it's probably pretty appealing when you can look at the prices that people are selling meat for <laughs> and you think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. And there is, there is a lot of opportunity, <laughs> yeah. no doubt. But it's maybe not as easy as people think. And and so I'm I'm curious, what do you think are the things that people don't see, like you, I think you said yourself that you naively looked at it as this opportunity to see you know, make all this money. Like what were the things that when you got into it surprised you and and you started to realize that these are the challenges I didn't foresee or, or, and what maybe separates you from the people who do quit, I guess. And maybe it's just straight up stubbornness, but
1: I'm curious if there's more to (laughs) it than that. (laughs) It's a lot stubbornness. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Everybody says marketing, so I'll echo that, but I think it maybe it's not so much one individual thing; it's just so many things that uh, it's like keeping all these plates spinning on on posts, kind of mm-hmm. thing, or you know, juggling balls, whatever analogy you want to use. Yeah. It's like you you turn your back on one thing, and unless you're really awesome at setting up systems, and mm-hmm. <laughs> usually when you're strapped for time, you're not doing that so much like there's so many things i want to automate and improve but when you're so busy working at your business you're not working on your business and not putting those systems in place and automating things so that you can turn your back to something for a week two weeks you know whatever scale of time you're looking at but whether that's uh marketing perfect example uh I do uh, delivery runs to the Twin Cities uh, currently once a month. Mm -hmm. And if I take some time and send out some emails, reach out to some people individually, reach out to my site hosts, make Facebook events. And I'm still trying to, you know, apply the 80-20 principle to this, figure out, you know, which one of those half dozen things do I really need to do, mm-hmm. you know, or what can I double down on or what am I missing? But this time I did not do those things and it worked out okay. Cause I was gone for a week. I had a trip. Uh, I had zero orders, which kind of hurts. Mm-hmm. So that just tells me that, okay, that getting, getting the orders in for this monthly trip, it's, it's definitely not even close to on autopilot yet so just an example you know i I turned my back on that for a month and that's what
0: happened (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so it's a very involved process right now you haven't developed the clientele the regular kind of customer list yeah and i'm not
1: saying that would happen every month but that's that's what happened this time and any other area can be the same way if i don't pay super close attention to my animals they're going to be you know, not doing, maybe not thriving, maybe not gaining weight as fast as they should or overgrazing or applying too much impact in the case of the pigs or, or pigs chewing into silage bales. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a good point because I think we all face that in businesses and stuff too. And it's challenging, especially at the early stage, like, I don't know how much time can you develop or, you know, sit aside to working on the business and focusing on developing systems and maybe stepping back from the day-to-day stuff but it's really hard at the beginning because you're crazy busy managing all the day-to-day stuff and so I don't Mm -hmm. know and and that kind of I guess we were talking a little before the call like that you and I'm not sure if you want to talk about this at all but you've finally you know made the decision that you're going to bring on somebody to to help you with all of this so that hopefully you can spend more time working on the business and focusing on you know, developing the systems and processes to make your business more efficient, hopefully, and more profitable.
1: Right, right. And I'm really fortunate there because I I do have my other farm enterprise that I'm involved with and Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to structure it so that this employee can work at either, under either business, you know, I'll be handling the the payroll from my side, but Mm -hmm. um, he can take up some of my maintenance responsibilities and, you know, get them trained on trucking grain and Mm -hmm. harvest coming up, obviously. So there's, there's plenty to do all around. And yeah, we were talking about, we're just going to kind of see where he fits best. He has a really Mm -hmm. diverse set of skills and, you know, and that's why I was really excited to hire this individual because
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, I I think, uh, you know, a lot of times small businesses want to hire somebody who can do all the things that, they can't do that they see that they're lacking in sometimes we should really do the the opposite of that find somebody who who can do a lot of the things that we can do so that you know we can really take a step back and learn like okay what what do i need to learn yeah yeah <laughs> cuz i've been guilty in the past of just uh throwing money at some problems and that can that can hurt
0: that can be really wasteful and chances are probably nobody's gonna, you know, no employee is going to look into and, and as passionately pursue opportunity outside of what you're already doing as you will, you know, mm-hmm. So if you hire someone because you see an opportunity and you say, this is your project, go for it, you know, they're not going to do it as, as hard and as well as you would. But if you can kind of hire someone to fill some of the roles, you know, I don't know. And maybe it comes down to the person you're hiring, but I think that makes a lot of sense. Free up your time. I mean, you're the, the owner of this business, you're the entrepreneur. And and it makes sense for you to, you know, pursue some of the new things that you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that was worth talking about that. Uh, the whole burnout thing. Cause I, I, I don't know. I think it's way more common, you know, than, than people even realize that I, I'd be curious if there was some data out there and what the, I don't turnover rate, I guess you'd call it is of people who get into some sort of a direct marketing enterprise and then drop out a year or two years later because of they see the it's not quite as easy as it maybe seemed to be, but um, oh, it's a good point. But uh you said that you pulled a hundred acres out of the the more crop farm, and, and I'm curious, I hadn't heard that or I didn't know that. I'm curious what you're doing with that ground, what your plans are for it, and what I don't know what some of the changes you've you've made are.
1: Uh so I strategically took this hundred acres out, it's uh two, I guess, or like three tracks of land because one of them is split with some railroad tracks. So the one was one of our poorest farms and it's weird shaped, all these point rows. There's a grove of trees in it, which Mm -hmm. is great for the pigs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: So it was one of our least productive farms for growing corn and soybeans on, the most time consuming by far to farm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, So that one came out and then another just a 40- some acre tract that was, it's pretty productive land. Uh, And then my brother actually, just to keep things even, he took uh, an 80 acre tract out. We figured it was roughly even because he took a a nicer rectangle, you know, better for row crops. He's not doing anything really out of the norm on, as far as like the the corn and soybean farm Mm -hmm. context goes. Uh, On my acres though, I've been experimenting with some, a small grain mix. I got inspired when I heard uh, Gabe Brown talk about mixing all these small grains and field peas and things together. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's been a challenge. I haven't had a tremendous amount of success with it. Probably the first year was the best. Okay. Um, But
0: how many years has it been? Or when did you pull the ground into the personal management?
1: Oh uh that was let's see, I believe it was last year, so okay. 20 the 2021 season. So I mentioned the small grain mix uh this year and really to try to get the the soil health better on that one oddly shaped farm. It has really tight soil and like my dad has farmed it for 30 30 or 40 years. And he's told me some stories about how it just gets like concrete is the way he would describe it. Like when he used to do more tillage on it and there I've been more focused on the diversity and changing up the crop rotation. I grew a triticale forage, uh, mix that we chopped for baleage this year. I put cattle on it this year, uh, my dad talked me into growing some soybeans there. I was gonna do like a big uh, warm season forage mix, but yeah. with the price being so good, I know it's setting back some of the goals. But sure. um, cash flow, it'll help. <laughs> Hopefully, in the long term as well. <laughs> yeah, but when I want to get something else seeded onto that as soon as possible, and then mm-hmm. it'll be a nice experiment though, because it's kind of cut through the middle of the field, so I'll be able yeah. to see, you know. If it is really that bad of an idea or just a, a sort of bad idea, but that'll be interesting. Oh, and I have a, another field of the, the 40 acre chunk is in wide row corn this year. So mostly 60 inch wide, there's some 30 inch out there around the edges and just as a, like a check through the middle. Yeah. And I'm also working with a soil professor from uh, Minnesota state university in Mankato on a research grant on that field where we're growing perennial cover crops between the rows
0: perennial cover crops. yeah and is that'll be a three-year
1: project what was
0: that is that mcgronka
1: uh, oh mcgronka yeah. yeah yeah you met nice. you met Merganka. that's right
0: yeah yeah he brought a i think a tour bus out to our farm the same group of students that maybe went to your place last oh fall, yeah year, yeah last year, okay but yeah that's awesome that's super cool and so the goal of this more so is still to maybe to some, try some experiments and things that maybe the rest of the family, it sounds like wasn't so on board with trying. Is that kind of the goal of this to?
1: Yeah. The big reason I wanted to take these acres under my own management is just, <laughs> so I don't have to answer to
0: anyone but myself yes. yeah. and the banker,
1: I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that makes that absolutely makes sense. And I think that is a good way to do it. Cause I, at Tom Pyfront I talked to a few years ago and he, he, uh, shares, well, he, he kind of said his point is like, try it on try it on something. Try it on a chunk of ground, whether it's whatever your scale is. If you want to try something new and you're scared it's not gonna work, you're gonna go broke. Nobody will go broke on five percent of their farm. You know, if you try you know, if you're a right. thousand acre farm and you try it on 50 acres or something, it's not going to be a big deal or whatever, give it a shot. And then if you, what you see, you can replicate out beyond, but if you, uh, you know, tell yourself that it'll never work and you never, you know, even try, you'll never find out what's possible in your environment. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to see what you continue to see. Cause I think you're in, I mean, you're in pretty kind of flat black dirt, pretty heavy soils, uh, yeah. productive ground where there is probably some of the most resistance to a lot of these these uh practices in in the state honestly i i think so (laughs) yeah that that kind of south central ground there's a lot of yeah just a lot of resistance so i'm excited to see what you find and what you learn yep
1: i think uh tillage here just uh begets more tillage (laughs) yeah yeah it's the conditions needed for more that make people want to till more and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's tough and uh you know even when we were My dad was doing the, the no-till on the soybeans. We would still at that time chisel plow every year. So Mm -hmm. I think we were probably setting ourselves back a lot. We've switched to strip till since then. And I'd like to transition to no-till completely on, on my acres, but I'm gonna do some side-by-sides for a few years. And Mm -hmm. I think getting the diversity in there is definitely gonna help that transition for sure.
0: So I'm kind of jumping around a lot, but, uh, so you talked about the pigs there too, and how this farm's got woods and things like that. I, I know that I, I've heard from some people who have experimented with pastured or woodland pork that if not managed properly, they can be pretty destructive on ground and land. And they're kind of rooting animals largely. And some breeds are different. So maybe the mangalese so mm-hmm. is not that way, but how do you manage them in a way that you feel is advantageous and long-term building of soil and not, uh, doing long-term damage?
1: Yeah. um some extent, I'm still learning there. I'm really trying to understand what the pig's role on the landscape is. And if I have time over the winter, I want to do some more reading on it and hopefully do some travel and look at some of these places like Thinking of uh, La Dehesa and Spain, go check that out someday. It's kind of on my bucket list. But That's awesome. even just try to get to some of the places in this country, like where feral hogs are more of an issue, and sure, just really learn what this animal's role is. But uh, more specifically, to answer your question, I'm doing a little bit of a, a round peg, peg in a or square peg in a round hole kind of thing. Okay. Um, I get inspired by, you know, the type of management people use with cattle, like with the daily moves. So I'm not moving my pigs every day. Um, I would love to, if, uh, you know, I had the time and could thought it was more feasible and I'm working my system, you know, towards that direction so that it is easier to do more frequent moves. Um, but I do really strive to get them onto fresh ground at least every week. And there's a lot of different ways to go about that. It might just be expanding their paddock. It might be starting them in a large paddock and then fencing off areas of that paddock, like where they've done too much disturbance. And I really do try to keep the the cover on the ground. Um, The other part is, though, and, and I did a really good job of this last year. This year, not quite as good i feel like i have a few more irons in the fire but i would mm-hmm. actually go out and if i i knew the pigs had done what i deemed to be too much impact on a an area i would seed it which i still try to do this year and then actually go and spread some straw over the top mm-hmm. of that all so shitty sure. yeah. that yeah. had really good results but okay. it can be time consuming when you're just doing that by hand so mm-hmm. it was also if, if I hold myself to that, it's also a great incentive to get them moved when it's time. But yeah, I think it just, the, it depends on the, the weather, early spring, late fall, if you have wet weather, that can be really challenging. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there, you might need some kind of a sacrificial paddock to put them in, or, you know, even if you have some, some concrete around, that would be the time
0: to
1: utilize that. i I don't have any concrete really, but I've taken some old hog slats and made little pads out in the woods where I set feeders and water sometimes. Just some of those really high impact areas. Uh, Mongolites do root quite a bit. I don't know if they're as bad as some breeds for that, but Mm -hmm. um, they definitely like to root. Uh, this time of the year when the acorns are falling though, they don't do as much rooting cause they're, they're too busy eating the acorns. So yeah. Yeah. The, uh, blessed by so many of those falling.
0: Yeah. Huh. Well, I'm, I'm wondering even like, I'm sure there's still, there's still plenty of benefits to moving more regularly and sure, but I'm sure, but you can't be quite as hard, at, maybe as hard on yourself as you know a cattle <laughs> producer they're, they're the ruminants are truly, you know, there's, their entire diet is the forage. And so there's some other incentives to moving more regularly, right. being, you know, like more even dish- or consumption of feed in a more you know, less selective manner and more even nutrition over, you know, a week as opposed to moving once a week. They eat the good stuff on day one. And by day seven, they're practically starving themselves. And wh- where hogs are supplemented with additional feed, there's not maybe quite mm-hmm. as many of the nutritional benefits. And so you have to, uh, you definitely have to weigh the, the, value to the lo- the labor and the time investment that goes into that you know the value of moving right. more regularly so i i don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're accomplishing your goals and are you know you know getting what you're hoping to do as far as the the adequate amount of disturbance and things and i don't know with pigs too it, do they tend to find one spot to root and stay there too or no
1: they definitely have places that they seem to gravitate towards yeah. you know when they they love to, especially in hot weather, bed down mm-hmm. under trees usually, so they'll dig sure. a hole so they can be in contact with the the cool ground. And, yeah. of course, if there's any water around the wallow, mm-hmm. that does that even more so. But, yeah. yeah, what you're saying, yeah, they are definitely a different creature than cattle. So, yeah. a few of the impedances to moving them every day the fence has to be much lower it's more prone to shorting out Mm -hmm. and uh you're moving a feeder i guess with cattle you might be moving a water source as well but there's there's stuff that has to go with them to the next paddock generally
0: yeah yeah and the more mo- you move them, then you kind of, if, if, if they find one spot to wallow and one spot to do whatever <laughs> and stuff and you move them daily, then that's that many more areas they're rooting up and that many right. more areas they're trampling for feed and water and right. stuff. So I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe you're, you're finding an optimum too. I, I, and I'm when, not an expert. I'm not crazy. And, and when it, there it, is a
1: wallow or something like that, that they know of and they, if they have an area they really enjoy, that's like a magnet to them. So if you, mm-hmm. if you're trying to keep them in with just a single strand of poly braid, which I do often, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's when they're going to want to get out Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they see yeah. that thing right on the other side of the, <laughs> their fence that they yeah. really want to be in. Sure. sure. Um, Oh, the other thing I was thinking about is, uh, <clears throat> I like to think of it on like longer time horizons as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really starting to think like, you know, maybe land if you hit it fairly hard with pigs for a few years and then go in there and I would love to have some sheep or goats even. I don't yeah. have that now or find somebody in my area I can partner with, but this whole concept of land regeneration and ecological succession trying to Move things back towards like a more productive state where photosynthesis is maximized and get more of a savanna ecology. Um, that's really what I'm working towards at my place, and that's why I've gone this season a little lighter on the hogs. I'm just uh, I have one group that's here that I'm uh, kind of custom feeding for for a friend, another farm business. Um, but I'm to some extent giving my home 10 acres a little more of a rest this year than i would otherwise and there could be sometime in the future where i don't keep pigs here very
0: much we'll see Mm -hmm. yeah huh no that's neat i i like the the long-term outlook on what you're doing um that makes a lot of sense um is there anything else on the hogs specifically uh before i move on to another question i've got uh, we did talk about how delicious they are. Yeah. yeah, yeah please do. Share. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about the customer side. What have you heard from people about what you're doing and what do they, yeah. What do they think? And- uh, people just,
1: most people love it. Um, yeah. it is a lard breed for, so for some customers it's, it's too fatty. Okay. And some cuts especially, but almost universally people love the bacon mm-hmm. as long as the, I found a really good processor now some processors might have great bacon, one, one batch. And so, so the next. Sure. Yeah. So I think those, those cured products are definitely something you gotta watch with your, your quality control. Uh, yeah. Yeah. people love the quality of the fat, I guess is one of the amazing things about the breed. It's been compared to the the fat of, uh, like Kobe beef mm-hmm. just has this, uh, don't know delicious i'm getting hungry now (laughs) 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 haven't had lunch yet yeah delicious quality to it just melts in your mouth it's buttery it's Mm -hmm. not kind of like that greasy mouth feel Mm -hmm. Um, so much of it doesn't really have like any of the grisly kind of stuff in it Mm -hmm. and cuts tend to have usually a lot of marbling not always if they don't have visible marbling there's definitely still a lot of uh like at a finer level fat in there. And I've heard, even if you look at the, the cells under a microscope, the fat cells are more consistent and hmm. plump looking than other breeds. Okay, It's said to have better nutritional qualities as well. And I'm sure the feeding on pasture and woodland helps with that. Yeah. And something I'd like to look into in the future so
0: I can speak on that with more confidence. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, well, that that's interesting. They talk a lot about the you know the healthier omegas and stuff being in the fat. And if if this is a fatty breed and stuff, then that would make sense. If they're getting a lot of those other nutrients from the forages, they're eating the more diversity. That that makes a lot Mm -hmm. of sense. I'm sure that
1: sounds like even just the breed by itself, independent of the feeding, is uh, a factor in that. Interesting. I imagine the the feeding just uh, amplifies that effect.
0: Yeah. Huh. Interesting. well, on the pigs, I guess again to one question then is, how are you marketing it? Uh, are you you're in everything from wholesale to retail, bulk, by the cut? You know, what's
1: your <laughs> <Yeah>. strategy? <laughs> just throwing it all against the wall right now. It's yeah, <laughs> I, yeah that. I have a website, bluedirtfarm.com, and that's one avenue. That's where I'm putting most of my effort into, just trying to get customers comfortable with that process. Uh, I went to a training in, uh, Indiana at seven sons farm and they developed the platform called grace cart that I'm using Mm -hmm. just designed exactly for what we're doing. So yeah, it really helps. Uh, yeah, it's, really been bootstrapping it a lot, you know, trying to reach out to as many local people as I can and getting into the twin cities. I'm about two hours from the twin cities. So that makes it a bit challenging. I can't just pop over there (laughs) every day or anything. Uh, food, we have some smaller food co-ops in the area. A few restaurants I've reached out to a couple, one of them, especially, I guess has been really helpful, but I think just getting, creating a buzz among the customers and really treating the customers as good as I can has helped.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. There's each marketing route has its advantages and disadvantages for sure. From easy or simplicity and bulk and wholesale and stuff to the advantage of obviously a higher price price. That comes with selling retail mm-hmm. cuts, but then there's inventory challenges. I mean, everything's got its yeah. pros and cons. And you you kind of do the same, don't you? Are you yeah. guys do a lot of cuts and well, we really don't do any wholesale. Um okay. it, it's almost entirely yeah, direct to consumer. But we do some bulk and some by the cut. And yeah, inventory management is the thing that you know, if anything, it you know keeps me awake at night. It's usually inventory management. and It's like, gosh, I don't know how we're gonna get rid of all of this. Oh, I know. We have, and stuff, you know? <laughs> so,
1: yeah. yeah, I got a walk-in freezer this year. Nice. <laughs> it's it's nice in some ways, but it can it can set you up for uh, a lot of that anxiety in other ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do have a lot of probably half of my walk-in is full of uh, fat and some pig heads right now. This okay. last batch, I decided not to keep the heads because I'm still looking for a good market for those, but I'm actively seeking a market for this lard it's really awesome quality but it's not the thing that everybody's looking for most of my customers that really do appreciate the lard are getting either a whole or half animal so then they keep their portion of the lard with that and that's typically enough for just uh you know your your general kind of customer
0: yeah oh that makes sense we we stop getting the tallow on our beef you know the same mm-hmm. stuff because we we have somebody ask for it so then we do it and lorenz makes us do a minimum order of five head and so then we got five head worth of tallow and mm-hmm. the freezer full oh, of it, wow. you know and it's and nobody else wants it but that one person and they only wanted three pounds for bird for a bird feeder <laughs> so now, now what do we do with that
1: yeah. yeah yeah it's just some of the there's so many opportunities i mean mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. You're only limited by your creativity, but then you know it's the time of action. I was going to say yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another yeah. reason I'm excited to get this employee because yeah. I can follow up on some of these ideas I've had and yeah, you know, yeah. find something that sticks there for sure. For sure. Um, no. I've also found pigs are nice because the cuts are so versatile. You can have things made into so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I, I found that pork steaks and shoulder roasts all from like that shoulder quarter of the pig. Those are really piling up in my inventory. So I I just thought, okay, well, what can I do here? And I started making cottage bacon I started, uh, having it cut into little cubes for kebabs. Uh, sometimes I just have them, you know, grind up the shoulder and, you know, add it to the trim and make, uh, you know, brats and ground pork and that kind of thing. But then, Mm -hmm. um, I realized that this, It worked too well. Now I don't have enough roasts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, another marketing thing I should mention. I'm really excited about this. I just got set up with a a company called The Meadery. And Hmm. they're based in Southern Minnesota. They work with small farms such as mine. Um, I think I just became their 10th farm that they worked with. And I know they do probably want to add some more. Uh, but they, they do some online marketing as, as well, and sure. they um, arrange shipping. I can get packaging materials from them, which I was doing a lot of that on my own before. But it's yeah. nice when you can pool resources, and uh, they seem more than willing to uh, you know, help me out by sharing some of those those resources. Like I can buy packaging materials from them or
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe even use some of their uh, access to logistics with some of the shipping companies nice um it's just been a whole other can of worms we talk about all these all these things that you have to pay attention to i got a little bit into like you know the butchery side of it uh i've done some workshops with people and um the friend i'm actually raising the pigs for uh cannon valley butchers block
0: yep Shout yep out. sarah yeah my friend
1: sarah our friend sarah yep yep you know, that's one aspect. Then if you want to ship, that's a whole other (laughs) can of worms to open up. It's just like never ending.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We
1: go deep into any one of these topics.
0: Yeah. Back to that, uh, that burnout conversation. There's so much, (laughs) yeah, there's so much, but that's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of a fun part about it. You're not doing the same. Definitely. That's for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We, we definitely learn
1: (laughs) (laughs) a lot of things. Yep.
0: Well, I uh we're almost coming up on an hour here already, and there's uh, lots more I'm sure we could talk about and stuff, but you, you kind of alluded earlier to uh to the to the collars, uh, that you've got uh-huh. some goals and some things. I'm curious, you know, what are all the things that you're you're still hoping to do in the future, collars being one of them. What are some of your your projects, I guess, that you, you've got in mind?
1: I see virtual fencing as such a, a game changer for the landscape. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be pivotal in, especially in well, a lot of places, I'm sure. But uh, my area with all these corn and soy acres and all this land that's basically not being utilized, you know, it's empty literally for six months out of the year. And for nine months out of the year, there's not much photosynthesis happening on mm-hmm. the typical field. Mm-hmm. And by now, our you know, it's uh, what? middle of September. Now the crops here are starting to turn, you know, and those plants are shutting down Yeah. and we also have a canning plant in our town here. So there's, there's uh sweet corn and field peas. And at least a lot of those, uh, their farmers are getting better about putting covers on after their early canning crops. But that is just a, a golden opportunity to mm-hmm. I think utilize this technology and yeah, it's uh, what I'm envisioning longer term for myself and getting this employee hired is a part of that process to sure. free myself up to move on to this. Uh, unfortunately, I'm still waiting for the actual hardware. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the company, um, No Fence, is dealing with all the supply chain yeah. stuff that everybody else is. So still hoping to get something uh, up and going this fall. Uh okay september october was the latest i heard so
0: okay yeah well there, there is a lot of excitement going on with that stuff right now yeah. i know we've got a field date. by the time people listen to this it will have been passed but this friday the 23rd right. or 4th or whatever 23rd up in, you know and with a uh, individual using it with goats and kind of yeah you know custom I'm hoping stuff. to sneak up there and check that out i don't know if yeah. i'll make it or not yeah. well i'll see you there if you do i'm, I'm hoping to Hope get so. there but And then you know us sfa we've kind of got a project going on up at Sherburn national wildlife refuge using vents which is there's no fence and there's vents i think are the two main companies in this Mm -hmm. this technology you know business right now and we're doing some projects on it too to try to kind of prove out the technology and stuff but uh, I, uh, i i think you're right there's a lot of opportunity but i'm curious in your your area the fields are relatively small in comparison to some of the vaster open spaces. I mean, polywire could even be a uh, technology that, that a lot of this ground to it in the, in the short term yet. Or do you think that isn't,
1: I think so obviously it's more hands-on and that's Mm -hmm. what I'm doing now with my animals. Sure. I was grazing them on that part of that hundred acres and I've found another person with 20 acres with, some kind of meadow land river bottom land that I just moved them to the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the no fence might be a really great thing, especially if you have a really large herd where you can justify having some, some more people involved just to, uh, move the animals down the road.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I'm excited just, you know, to get things started one way or another, if I, if I have the virtual fencing great, but if you got to use polywire and, I expect for quite a while we'll still have to at least put polywire along the roadways just so people yeah. aren't <laughs> calling all the time and there's probably yeah. county ordinances and who knows mm-hmm. what else <laughs> what other obstacles are going to pop up there <laughs> there's a lot of societal barriers I
0: guess maybe you'd call right. or something before you know even if the technology is there which you know, yeah, we'll have to overcome at some point, but mm-hmm. it uh, takes people like you who aren't afraid to think outside the box to ever push these things into a, you know, a reality. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're willing to do it and that you're trying.
1: So. Yeah. I think it could just be such a, such a great thing for our area here. And it just, it touches all these problems that we're seeing. Um You probably know about like Lake Pepin filling up with sediments and by examining the cores, they can see that the the rate of sedimentation has increased over the last 20 years. And, really? you know, what's going on there? <laughs> huh. Wow. Um, yeah. They've chased a lot of it back to actually the watershed, the blue earth watershed that I live in. Um, the banks, especially uh, closer to Mankato are very erosive. We see the river rise and fall a lot faster than it used to. Some of these older farmers that have pasture land along the river can attest to that Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. where yeah they just they know it's not like it used to be and Mm -hmm. i think uh drain tile and uh poor infiltration are probably the two main things and with the cattle we can definitely address that infiltration and that should alleviate some of the tile issue as well if you can increase the organic matter and store more water in that soil profile it'll take some pressure off of that system and um i read about like these explorers that came through the area and they talk about rivers with white sandy bottoms and <laughs> clear flowing water year round
0: wow that would be incredible a, wouldn't it yeah. i want to
1: see a region like that someday that's uh yeah. that's where that's what keeps me going
0: yeah, I just remember however many years it was ago now, my dad and I were leaving a conference or like a workshop field day type thing and just driving around. This was in the fall after corn was all taken, all this black dirt. And we we're just like, imagine if all these acres, you know, the 90 million acres of corn and 90 acre, million acres of beans and whatever. Just had a cover crop on it, you know. Nothing else changed. Even, you know, let's say they even still they tilled and they they didn't change their crop rotations. But all of a sudden, all this ground had a green and growing cover crop on in the fall. That alone, the change that would make on this, you know, this world and this country. I mean, yeah, be pretty incredible. It would
1: change people too. I think mm-hmm. we would yeah. just uh people would feel a little different. It'd be very mm-hmm. subtle, but that mm-hmm. effect
0: could, yeah, yeah, in well,
1: the aggregate have a, a just a huge impact
0: yeah well it's tough to you know probably really visualize the kind of change that you can make when it's only one farm here and then the farm over there and stuff right. but if you can actually see large landscape changes i mean it's going to have a com- cascading and compounding effects in, mm-hmm. in in the in the farmers i mean you're going to see slight changes and that's going to get people excited and then they're going to think this cover crop's great let's add no till and let's add a diverse cover you know a different crop into our rotation and all of a sudden, you've got massive change, and yeah, it's exciting. I don't know how long it's going to take, what it's going to take to make that shift, but it's it, yeah. i <laughs> will keep hoping, I guess, and, and excited right. for when it does. So, <laughs> but I uh, I think that's most of the things that I thought of to talk to you about. Are there any other things that you've got going on, or things that you're looking at that I haven't asked you about that you wanna you wanna address here today?
1: Uh, I'm sure there are, but you said the time is coming up. I, I don't have any burning things on the tip of my tongue. Sure. Uh, yeah, I just love what, uh, you're doing with the podcast and SFA and yeah. thank you for
0: having me as a guest. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And maybe remind our listeners again, where they can find you, reach out, learn more about what you're doing, or if they want to try sure. your work where they can find that.
1: Yeah. I'm happy to. Share pork with anyone. Uh, I'll have a little bit of beef this fall as well. Uh, very limited number of turkeys this year. Mm-hmm. Um, my website's blue Um, you can find me on like the Minnesota Grown Directory and a few other directories like that. Or there's uh the metery that I mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it's meterymn.com. There there is another metery that's out in some other states. So don't confuse the two but uh, those are the main places i am now or check out the amboy cottage cafe just outside of mankato if you're yes. ever in the region here you've been there jared I, I,
0: I i'm not sure if i have but i will i i, think I we had a workshop finding... there once did we i've yeah. done so many i forget which ones <laughs> i've been to but i always whenever yeah. i go through places now i'm trying to find those local you know cafes and stuff so i'll definitely check that out yeah they're great
1: about local food uh, cool. the owners are really really great people
0: awesome all right well thanks so much scott really appreciate it and have uh have a wonderful day and best of luck this fall so. you're welcome thank you and have a good fall too dirt rich is produced by the sustainable farming association if you enjoyed this podcast consider supporting us by making a donation or becoming a member at sfa-mn.org. Thanks for listening.